The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Did you know that when he first moved in, I still remember, I was 18 years old, 1998, I heard the news that Rebbe Solomon from Gateshead, he was moving from England to go to Lakewood to be the Mashkiach, because Rebbe Nassim Vachlegel, he was aging and he wanted someone that was very dynamic. They brought him into Lakewood. I was 18 years old at the time. Then Rebbe Nassim passed away and they, they, people were like crazed with the timing, like literally within a few weeks or a few months from Vizarach Uba Hashemesh that they crossed paths very momentarily. And now Rebbe became the Mashkiach. When Ramatesio moved to his house, there was a shortcut of people that would go through the house right near him, the Epstein family. The Epstein family had a tragic loss. The mainstay, Rabbi Epstein, who was their neighbor, he died from a heart attack very suddenly. And it was right when the Solomons just moved in. It was right when they were just getting acclimated and they were kind of getting to know their neighbors. And what would you know? A few weeks later, one of their daughters became a Kala. By the way, parenthetically, Ramatesio had eight as a child that I think is completely mute and deaf. People don't even know that. And he didn't even talk about that. He just kept on going. He was so happy. Him and his wife, such simcha. And when he found out that the Epstein family had this death, and then his daughter became a kala, they introduced and they said who they were. The day of the wedding. Think about this. This is your child's wedding. The day of the wedding of the Solomon family, the Epstein family, gets a knock on their door. Who is it? Person they never met before. Yes, are you the Epstein family? Yes, how can we help you? Rabbi Solomon told me to give you this. What was this? It was a, a DVD player of the actual wedding that was taking place in Lakewood, across town, that they were filming. They put it on the DVD player right by the break. And Matisio told them, I want you to take this to the Epstein family and play it for them. I want them to feel like they're part of the wedding. They're our neighbors. They should feel that they're part of us. Just like a, Who thinks like that? Someone who thinks of others. Someone who is constantly thinking of what can they do for others. This is amazing. I remember I came. I was so excited. I was going to come and bring to my Rebbe. I went with my wife and my, my son, Arye. He was around two years old. We came to, every time there was a Purim, we would come and give Mishlach Manot. And we came into the house. We would walk into the kitchen. We give it to Rebbe and Salman. Oh, thank you so much. And you felt so good. You're like, oh, I came in. I gave the Mashkiach and his wife. I gave them Mishlach Manot. But me, I'm a little bit of a Chevroman. I felt very good. I was like, wow, I gave it to him. No one else gave it. And you know, it's, I went to the back of the house and I see hidden from view in another room, they had an entire room filled with Mishlach Manot and they had sheets covering them. They didn't want people to feel bad. Imagine you walk into, I was thinking about that. That's crazy. Imagine you walk into a room and you're like, oh, happy poor. Oh, oh, I guess, I mean, you got a thousand Mishlach Manot, so whatever. Here's my wafer in can of soda, right? You feel so bad about yourself. But here they want everyone to feel like you made the effort to come. Yes. Yeah, okay. We're happy. Thank you so much. Thank you for thinking about me. But they don't want people to feel overwhelmed. Who thinks like that? And the answer is special people think like that. A number of years ago, when he moved in to town, he heard the appalling, horrific, there's no other word other than disgusting act that there were a number of Besiakov girls who were unable to get into school. So Ramatisio heard that. He called the Menalim to his house. At that time, I think it was like close to 20 of them. He says, I have a list right here of a number of girls. It was like 100 girls that had no place that they were accepted to. He said, the, school's about, the school years are about to start in a few days. Who's taking them? It was deathly quiet. He banged on the table. He says, how dare you? There's a Jewish daughter who's crying in a room and has no place to go? It's all on you. That pain, that suffering, you need to take these girls in. If it was your daughter, God forbid, what would you do? 
You'd be happy with that? You wouldn't accept that. So what did these two girls do wrong? They're like their daughters. They're our sisters. We need to accept them. I need everyone here to accept them. No, here's the list. They went down the list and they whittled it out. They got down to 14 girls. No one wanted to take them. So somebody said, excuse me, Mashkiach, you're not really here from Lakewood. You don't know how it works. And in America, it's, you know, we drive on the right side of the street. In England, they drive on the left. We say pants, you say trousers, you know, potato, potato. It's like, you know, we speak kind of the same, but it's different. This is not England. You can't dictate to us. We got 86 out of 80, 100. Okay, that's a B. That's a B plus. We almost got everyone. Okay, the 14 girls, let them fight somewhere. He slammed on the table and says, you're not leaving this room until everyone, I mean everyone is taken. Every single girl got taken. And he told them when they walked out, he said, I want to hear how they're doing. And next year, I hopefully will not be calling you to get more girls in. Every girl needs a place. Don't even think about having this conversation again with me. And he meant it. He shut it down. I remember that. I'll never forget that. I was in Lakewood when it happened. He shut down the schools. The schools did not open until every single girl had a place because he knew he had responsibility. And I have to tell you this. I saw with my own eyes broken people coming to him in yeshiva, outside of yeshiva. I remember when he was here in Miami Beach, when my parents sponsored a Sefer Torah, my father was so happy and so elated. He's doing a special mitzvah. Not many people are zochet to do that. And Ramatasio came over to him, gave him a kiss in the Beit Midrash. So my father was so embarrassed that he did it. He says, Mashkiach, in the Beit Midrash. He says, for you, at this moment, you deserve a kiss right now. My father said this a few weeks ago, before the Mashkiach passed away. This is years ago. I'm talking about like close to 20 years. He still feels that kiss. And I know there are people that still to this day feel that kiss. Because someone who's a responsibility and they're willing to take a hit for everyone. I can't tell you how many times I saw that people were lined up out of his house. I remember I one time flew in. He told me the only available time he has to speak with me would be at 12 o'clock in the morning. I, we're, at that time, we were living in Denver. I flew from Denver to his house. A late night, a late night flight. I get there. I rolled into, I come to my brother-in-law, Yisachadov, and to my sister, Fagi, meet with them. And then I go to the Mashkiach's house, 12 o'clock. I figure it's like 12 o'clock, midnight, right? There were 14 people ahead of me. You imagine that? And I flew in for this. So he said, listen, Yeshua, you could call me at three o'clock in the morning even. I know you flew in for this and you're leaving right back. You're going back to Denver in the morning. You flew in just for this. He says, we're going to have the conversation face to face. So please let me know when, uh, when I can speak with you and we'll make sure we'll make it happen. And it happened, like whatever, at two o'clock in the morning. I had a 45 minute discussion with him. And he was there at Shacharit the next day, 7.45. He was there the next day at Shacharit. He didn't miss this is someone who had a tremendous amount of responsibility. He knew how to take people and know how to guide them. I remember he one time spoke very strongly about these kosher circuses that he said it was such a wrong thing. So I grew up in Denver, Colorado. When I hear that there's a kosher circus, I'm like, okay, that sounds amazing. Like, what's the big deal? So I remember after he spoke very strongly against it, I went over to speak to him after. I said, Rebbe, I don't understand. I, I mean, it's kosher food. There are no, it's no pritzut. There's no women. I said, and more than that, you're spending family time. He started laughing. He says, Yeshua, that's family time. So family time is you're in the park, playing catch with your kids, eating, talking to them, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, speaking about them, having good conversation. He says, when you go to a circus, or you go to like the IMAX theater, you're just sitting next to the person. You're not spending time with them. You're spending time with yourself. It happens to be there are other people with you as well. He says, but that's not optimum time that you're spending with them. He says, if you want to go, 
privately, you're asking me? Okay, if you, that's what you need, then fine. And I remember I asked him like about like with Disney, like what, what he did before they went woke and now they're broke and they're crazy. I asked him about Disney. He said, uh, publicly, he said, Disney, it's not a place for someone to be. Then I asked him, I said, should I not go? He says, no, if your family really needs it, you could because you're asking me. I think for that, he says, actually, I'll tell you quite honestly, the place sounds quite whimsical. I love that line when he said that. It was very whimsical, right? You know, British accent, right? A whimsical place. And it was, it, there was a story, another one. This is amazing. His Rebbitzin, every Pesach, they would go to Gates they still had the house. I was in the room when this happened. So no one knows about this story. I was in the Mashkiach's room and I was speaking with him about a certain thing. And uh, suddenly he gets a phone call in the middle. Got up to like God. He says, sure, sit down. Okay. Mashkiach says, sit down. I sit down. He wanted me to hear this call so I could tell you the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. And I could hear on the other line. It's his wife. It's the Rebbitzin. He's talking to the Rebbitzin. She left 45 minutes before. And I'll never forget these words. It made such a powerful impact. He goes, I miss you already. I can't wait to see you in a few days. And I hope you have a safe flight and miss you so much. He kept on saying that. I miss you so much. And it's already, I, I feel like I'm missing a part of me. And I was thinking to myself, that's so beautiful. 45 minutes ago, it's just like, most people were like, oh, you left? Oh, I didn't. Oh, by the way, no, you say that. You wanted me to hear that. Have appreciation for those people that you love. Have appreciation for your family, people that mean something to you. I remember when there was a certain, there was a certain skufa in my life that I was going through a very difficult period being in a certain situation. I'm not going to elaborate because it's public. And to make a long story short, the mashkiach stood up for me like you'll never believe. I was so touched. Even now, thinking about it, I'm like, like how is I so to have that? He went to bat for me. He told a certain organization that they were doing something wrong to me. He says, I promise you, if you continue harassing Yeshua Sova and making him miserable, I promise you, Lakewood Yeshiva will have nothing to do with you. He said this almost 20 years ago, and he kept his word. That institution had, has, to this day, nothing to do with Lakewood Yeshiva. Lakewood Yeshiva is involved with a lot of organizations. And this organization, it makes sense that they should be involved in that. All because he wanted to defend the honor of someone that he considered a Talmud. It's beyond words to me that someone would feel like that. And I remember that when, unfortunately, a friend of mine, he, he unfortunately, he didn't realize he left his child in a car. And it was in the summer, and the child passed away. I will never, ever, ever forget when that person was brought into the mashkiach. I was waiting in line to speak with him, and uh, he happened to have the door happened to have been open when this when this person went in. He was broken. He was so beset with guilt. His marriage almost fell apart because the wife never forgave him for doing that. You killed our child, and you killed him. I was like, "What do you want? I did what? I didn't murder my. I love my child. I would never do something like that." I was saying crazy stuff like that. And he literally saved this person's mental state. He saved their marriage. He saved this person. And I remember so clearly that after that person, who almost literally, he almost had a breakdown. And he, Ramatisio, literally hands-on took this person and guided him through. Then when Baruch Hashem, they had their next child, Ramatisio was the sandak. And it was rightfully so, because he allowed the family to continue and flourish. He literally was there for people. I heard this story from my Rebbe, Rebbe Gershon Ribner, Tovim. He said this story publicly. He said that when his, one of his children broke out in hives and they couldn't get treatment to get it under control and everyone was making fun of this child's face. Oh, you look so funny. What happened? Makat shchen, that you have boils all over and the kid felt very self-conscious. He didn't want to go to school. And the doctor said, listen, the kid's got to go to school. I mean, just because he has hives, he needs to go to school. I mean, he's got to keep his brain functioning. 
The kid refused to go. He said, if I go, everyone's going to make fun of me. I don't. So Reb Gershon was at wit's end. He's like, wondering what's going to be? How am I going to get my kid? Somebody said, why don't you go to the mashkiach? He understands people. Think of him, he's a little kid. He says, he'll probably understand them too. So they went to the mashkiach. They were speaking to him. He says, okay, bring the boy in. Bring the boy in. He's very shy. He says, come, come. I want to, I want to speak to you. What are you learning? How is everything? What's going on? And the boy is talking. And then Ramatasil leans forward and goes, somebody told me that you have, you may have some type of bumps on your face. The kid's only like this. He says, no, come, come, come. I don't think it's true, but maybe, maybe. He took a lamp and he sh- sh- shone it on the kid's face. Now the kid was full of blotches. I don't see, I don't see. Oh, maybe over here, he points to like where his hair is. <laughs> maybe over here, like under your hair, there's an area, that's maybe what people are talking about. They're talking about that. When they talk about the hives, that's what they're talking about. That's eh, nothing, don't worry, it'll go away. The kid was like, oh, that's it? That's what they're talking about? He's a little kid. That's what they're talking about? In other words, he understood. When you agreed a little bit, that's what people are talking about. And the kid went to school. Happy. That's someone who understands other people. And just to conclude with one idea, this is somebody who empowered people and made people feel good about themselves. Before I went to out of town, as they say, he gave me a mandate for who I am, what I need to be, the high goals and aspirations I have to have. And I told him, I remember when Rav Shach passed away, I came into his room and I said, Rebbe, what is something I could learn from Rav Shach? What is something that I could do in my daily life? So he says, Yeshua, you should learn an extra five minutes. I said, Rebbe, I'm doing that anyways. Come on, give me something harder. You want something harder? Okay. Do Berchat Amazon from a Sidur. I'm like, Rebbe, I'm doing those two things anyway. Oh, you want harder? Okay. I want you to write Chidushet Torah that you have. And after every single month, you're coming with your notebook and you're showing me what you're doing. And we're going to grade you on that. Aspirations, goals. Everyone is shayach to that. And he was a very busy man. But he understood that he could set goals for other people. And he's, he was showing to people, don't forget who you are, what you're capable of. So Yehezeh Chaborach Hashem should give him and all the Talmudim a true nechama. I know that in Shemayim, he's reaping so much benefit. Someone who's such an unbelievable madrich, someone who guided so many people. He's going to be sorely missed. We should only know of good things and good smachot. Everyone should only know of nechamot. And Bezat Hashem, the ultimate nechama, Amen. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.